Welcome to the Tech Health Podcast. I'm your host, Saul Sherry. This is episode four. Going in for a a diagnostic scan can be an anxiety-creating experience, regardless of age. But it can be especially worrying for children who, who don't know what to expect. They go into an MRI machine, they're asked to stay still, which is clearly an almost impossible task for certain children. So how can we approach this problem from the patient's point of view? Nuffield Health senior content producer Chris Brunner caught up with someone who's focused on doing exactly that. At the Nuffield Health Manchester Diagnostic Suite last week, he sat down with Patrick LaRue, Senior Business Development Manager at Philips Healthcare Experience Solutions, to talk through the ambient technology designed to take some of the anxiety out of an MRI or CT scan experience. So imagine you were a patient and you're almost uh, called into this MR room and you hear this noise of the MR with the magnet. There is no control over the procedure. You might be diagnosed with a disease. So there's sort of lack of control over their own body. So what we want to do with ambient experience is give the patients back a sense of control. So with a simple touch on the button, just outside the diagnostic space for MR, you see the whole MR room changing into that settings. So imagine the patient select a beach theme, then you will hear the beach sounds, you will have the visuals of the beach, and the whole room will actually sort of light up like you're on the beach yourself. This technology has to have a very sort of special application in the MR because it is a, a tunnel um, yeah. that people need to go into and stay very still. Yeah. How do you visualize this when you're stuck inside such a space? That's one of our latest innovations, which is called the patient inboard. What we've seen in Philips that the highest level of stress of a patient is when the patient has been moved into the bore. And that might be 60 or 70 centimeters wide bore and the door is being closed by the staff which is leaving the room. So all of a sudden, you're all alone in this sort of dark tube of the, uh, of the MR. So with lots of research, we saw that that was the highest stress level. So it was very important to comfort the patient while being scanned. So at the end, we came up with a um, integrated monitor in the wall and a mirror over the top of the patient. So the patient is capable of looking outside the MR. It sounds pretty easy, just a mirror and a monitor, but we have done quite some research. We have had um, uh, glasses for in the MR with video, uh, but then you even sort of close down the environment even more. Uh, we have seen projection in the bore, but then actually we sort of ask patients to focus on the small space they're in. So based on all the deep knowledge we have on patients and clinical processes, we saw and we found out that the best way to comfort patients is to give them the opportunity to look outside the bore. They don't have the feeling anymore that they're in the bore. If they just select it, well, as just we discussed with the, uh, with the beach theme, they can have a good look at the beach while being uh, diagnosed at the same time. You've also focused on, uh, obviously children, unfortunately, need these scans as well, and they can be some of the most anxious patients. We have over 40 themes in our library. So whether you're a man or a woman or a child or an adult, there's a theme for you to select. 
And especially for kids, there are some pediatric themes they can select. Um, there is a cartoon crocodile walking in the woods or there is uh, uh, the robots. There are a few pediatric themes. And also for that reason, the, those pediatric themes have breath holds. So we can teach children when or support the children actually to hold their breath. I mean, it's way more easy to hold your breath together with the crocodile on the wall than do it by yourself in that CT. Ever use the crocodile yourself? No, I did, I did use my different themes. Uh, one of my favorites is the, is the dolphin theme. And I am claustrophobic, I have to admit. Uh, but when I experienced the inboard myself, it, even then it took me a little while to, uh, to calm down. But at the end, I was just completely obsessed and observing the... the dolphins under uh, under the sea level so it, uh, it helped me and so helping people to get through these experiences is really important because obviously without having the scans that they need the people don't get the diagnosis that will help them get the treatment that will hopefully cure whatever disease it is that they might or yeah. may not have so what has been the uptake of this kind of technology in industry and in healthcare um, we see an increased level and in, on the awareness of patient experience. Um, we are this year, by the way, celebrating our 10th years of uh, ambient experience. So the first ideas were born um, slightly over 10, 10 years ago, the first ideas. And what we see in the market is an increased interest in uh, um, tailor-made designed hospitals where ambient experience is a part of. This is a technology that finds a home very much within the diagnostic setting. Can you see this expanding further beyond uh, just diagnostics, but perhaps also treatment rooms uh, where patients are still uh, awake or under local anesthetic, or perhaps even in, in the first room they walk into in the reception hall? Well, there it actually starts. Patients need to walk into a hospital and get the feeling that they will be cured in that hospital. So um, design starts actually from the door. You're not, you're not a patient when you walk into the hospital, actually you're already a patient at home. So, but as soon as you, as a patient, walk into the hospital, you, wayfinding should be easy. You should not be stressed out on those kind of uh, variables. Um, research has proven that um, the waiting time is not so much an issue for patients, but the waiting comfort determines the waiting perception. So if you have a well-designed waiting area where patients are at ease, they don't mind waiting a bit longer. But if the waiting room is really badly designed, they will start complaining after a very short notice. It's been 10 years of ambient experience yeah. from Philips. Where to next? You've mentioned that the inbore experience and the, the mirror system that you use there is a relatively new yeah. uh, concept, a new design. Um, what could be the next step for ambient technology? What else could it be used for? Um, it's very close to be launched. It's also on the patient inboard where we are showing the scanning progress and breath hold support. So now we are using ambient technology to communicate to the patient, give him feedback of the process uh, he's in. Um, in Lamar, you need to lie down still to make sure that the images is correct. Um, but it's always good to know where you are in the progress. If I tell you to wait for the train, and I will not tell you it lasts for five minutes, those five minutes will take you a long time. 
if I keep you constantly updated on those five minutes, those five minutes will pass by. And it's the same with the scan. Also for the breath hold, if I ask you to hold your breath for 20 seconds, second 18, 19 and 20 might become a bit tough. Uh, if I tell you, you're going to hold your breath for 20 seconds and you'll see where you are, then it will be easier to hold breath. So now we start using, we take the data out of the MR to feedback to the patient to show the progress of the, uh, of the scan. And I'm actually joined by Chris Brunner in the studio. Hey, Chris, how you doing? I'm good, Saul. Fresh back from Manchester? Yeah, yeah, it was a lovely trip. Always is. Looking tanned? Thank you, yes. <laughs> the sun is always shining in Manchester, didn't you know? That's not what I've heard. Really interesting conversation you had there with Patrick. You're obviously focusing in on how that amb ambient technology helps um, the MRI scan in particular. Can you talk us through um, the deployment of, of ambient technology in other scans like like CT scans? Yeah, well, um, at the Nuffield Health Manchester Diagnostic Suite, they've employed ambient technology across quite a few modalities. So they've got it in the x-ray uh, area, which doesn't include the video projection um, or the sound experience, but they've just gone for a, a pure lighting experience in there. Um, in CT, they've gone a step further and done the full ambient experience. So they've got the projection videos, the ambient lighting, um, the audio, everything that goes along with it. And then the MR as well has the same experience as the uh, CT, but obviously you need to include the inbore experience with that so that people can see outside the machine. What Patrick touched on there with you was the fact that in the inbore experience, we're talking about a mirror and a projection. Yeah, it, it's really simple. It's outrageously simple. But um, this is what 10 years of ambient technology has led to. Uh, it, it does sound very simple, but Phillips has been working on this for a while. He mentioned uh, they tried glasses on the, on the patient. They tried um, projecting it inside the bore. They tried a whole n number of things. And then in the end, it came down to something as simple as a mirror and projecting onto the back wall. Um, simply because the, the MR has a, is a very closed-in space. The bore is quite small. Um, even now you have a wider bores um, to sort of relieve the claustrophobia in that regard, but people still have trouble with it. So the mirror simply sits over the patient's face. If they have to go in for a head scan or a chest scan, so they're going headfirst into the bore, the mirror just clips over the face, so it's sitting about three or four inches away, um, it's quite a wide mirror and it's uh, quite a, a deep mirror as well and it's angled so that you see what's on the back wall and it's projected the white, right way up and everything. So that helps take the patient outside of the machine. They no longer feel like they're in a closed-in space. So it boils down to a, a very simple psychological trick. We don't need the, the overly complex VR goggles. It's actually projecting from outside of the machine makes you feel like actually the outside of the machine isn't that far away and it's maybe a less claustrophobic experience. Exactly. I mean, it's it's something that's right there in front of you and it opens up the field of vision. Um, as you mentioned, VR is often uh, worn in a, in a headset, which actually kind of closes off the spaces around you. Yet, uh, when you add it in um, audio experience and, and other things and even sometimes tactile experiences with VR, it helps people to really feel immersed in the space because you can't do that. And MR is very difficult because it is a big magnet, essentially. You can't bring any other equipment into the bore. Um, it'll just get 
pulled around by the magnet. So uh, you have to try and bring it outside of the machine and using those projectors have to be far away enough from the machine so that they don't get sucked in essentially uh, by the magnet. So it, it, it's very, very simple, but um, it's pretty much the only way it could work in an MR as far as, as far as I can see and as far as Philips have developed it. And focusing on solving the problem of claustrophobia, uh, Patrick himself is, is claustrophobic. So what a, um, what a great guy to have on the project. But what, what is his actual role? What's he, what's he doing in relation to the piece? Well, his uh, title officially is Senior Business Development uh, Manager. But he likes to call himself a patient centricity advocate. So he is very, very focused on the patient experience. Um, patient experience is really what he is all about. So he's there to remind the, the developers, um, the people who are rolling out this technology, that uh, the patient is at the center of everything that they're doing. Um, and without that role, I think that this technology would, would largely be futile um, because it, that's exactly what it's designed to do. And to complete the picture, it, it, it takes me back to a conversation we had a couple of months ago on the podcast with Applied VR around sure you can have the lighting you can have the display you can even have it interactive but you don't really nail an immersive product until you've got some level of sound design to to take you on that journey indeed yeah i mean because if you think about any experience that we have if if you eliminate one of the senses and those key senses being sight and sound um to us as well as touch then you it doesn't feel quite natural um, you're still interrupted by the sounds of the environment that you're actually in. Um, and that's really, really important in the MR uh, machine because it's a loud, it's a noisy and intimidatingly sure. noisy machine. Um, so you have to try and uh, overcome that with, with other sounds. Having that sound there allows an interactive element, especially uh, when we're talking about kids, right? So um, as, as he explained it there, a large part of having a, uh, an accurate MRI scan is, is holding your breath for a, a certain period. As a nine or ten year old child, it would be much easier to follow along with a character you're familiar with telling you to hold your breath, or as they hold their breath, you hold your breath, kind of mimicry, rather than a, a disembodied voice from a clinician saying, okay, Timmy, hold your breath now, I'm going to count to ten. Yeah, I mean, they've employed the classic techniques of like the, the children's television industry, essentially trying to teach kids to do their ABCs and count to 10, etc. They, they follow a character that they can believe in, essentially. Um, so the, the one he mentioned was a, it was a crocodile or an alligator, um, but they have all sorts of different animals they can choose from. Kids love animals, right? So they're f far more of a... Um, friendly face I guess for a child to listen to than perhaps someone who's wearing a lab coat and showing them around the machine as, as nice as those people are as, as lovely as radiographers are um, it might just be a little bit better coming from a crocodile and you could even see it going one step further um, with some kind of brand hookup with you know, I'm going in I'm going in for my MRI scan today do I want the do I want the Aquanauts or the Paw Patrol um, interaction yeah, I mean, the possibilities are endless, really, uh, and you can see that being a massive step forward for for that kind of technology. I don't know how the licenses and things for that would work, but uh, in terms of getting kids through, I mean, there there are kids who have terrible conditions who need to 
go into these scans on a fairly regular basis. Um, so anything that can be done to improve the experience, I think, is what Patrick and his team are, are working towards. Absolutely. Uh, we'll come back to um, reducing the anxiety for kids in these situations in a minute. But uh, an, an anxiety that I imagine parents would have sending their kids into an MRI scan is uh, concern around radiation. Now, there is no real radiation concern with an MRI scan, but with a few of these diagnostic scans, there are. And uh, to help educate and, and allay some fears around that, you've been working on this. A return transatlantic flight exposes you to around five times the radiation of a chest X-ray. A mammogram produces more, about 0.6 millisieverts or 12 flights across the Atlantic. A CT scan is higher still at around 7 millisieverts, about the same as one year in sun-soaked rocky Cornwall. But even this... Yeah, so um, myself and, and members of the... Uh, content team here at Nuffield Health collaborated with the Radiological Protection Centre at St George's Hospital in London and our own uh, diagnostic imaging team here at Nuffield Health and created this uh, animation which is a little bit of fun really um, and just trying to take the edge off concerns around radiation because when you start to compare those doses to everyday and not so everyday things uh, it starts to put it in perspective for you. Absolutely, and it's a it is a really accessible ninety second piece that uh, I would encourage anyone who's concerned about radiation. So, speaking of of keeping children calm ahead of, um, in this case, diagnostic procedures, but across the medical board, um, you brought to my attention an article on Health Tech Insider, which uh, focuses on a study comparing iPads with sedatives ahead of kids getting. Uh, Anesthesia. Yeah, anesthesia. So, yeah. Anesthesia, yeah, anesthetic. I'll just cut out when I question yeah. myself. <laughs> um, yeah, so this study was carried out by Lyon University in France, and what they did was compare basically, yeah, kids um, either receiving a sedative um, prior to the anesthesia uh, or being given an iPad um, that included some age appropriate software on it, a video or a game. Um, and what they found was that it actually is equally as effective as the sedatives. So the sedatives designed to help lower those anxiety levels prior to facing up to the, the anesthetic procedure and administering that, which can be fairly intimidating for a child or anyone. Um, it's quite fascinating that something as simple as that could help children actually avoid further uh, drug administration. Going back, I've already mentioned this once today, um, the podcast we made which featured applied VR obviously that that was taking virtual reality and trying to fill in a place where opiates are, are, are currently performing a role there's obviously um, addiction issues around opiates certainly in the states um, I'm not so sure that there's a an addiction worry with sedatives with four to ten year olds although maybe if their parents uh, like the effect there's there's a potential for the parents to get hooked on giving their kids sedatives but obviously you want to reduce the amount of stuff you're pumping into these kids anyway yeah exactly I mean the kid has to have a anaesthetic administered anyway uh, if they're going to go through a procedure where they're being cut open or this you know a fairly invasive procedure um, some form of anaesthetic is always going to be necessary whether that's local or general um, so their body's already exposed to a drug um, and giving a prior sedative is just exposing them to a, a further drug. 
Um, so if you can take that out of the equation and replace it with something as simple as a video, uh, then you're probably doing something good for the for the child, and also you're reducing costs for hospitals because these drugs aren't cheap. Then again, neither are the iPads, but I suppose you can use them again and again. True. Um, so if we focus on the study a little bit, they were, these kids were aged between four years old and 10 years old, 115 of them split into two groups. One taking the sedative midazolam, or MDX for short. I'm sure that's a wrapper. Um, and one given an iPad with age-appropriate games. And then therapists not involved in the, in the study up until that point come in and observe the children and, and take notes on their anxiety levels throughout the process. So waiting, having the anaesthetic, etc., etc. As you've already said, the fact that it's performing on an equal level with uh, the sedative, I think is a really interesting fact. I'd be really keen to see um, if those psychiatrists or psychologists are also looking at the parents and the parents' Mm -hmm. anxiety levels, parent with a child who's taking a pill versus a parent with a child who's taking an iPad. Because I can see... uh, the reason a parent would obviously want the iPad interaction, it's, it's less invasive. Um, obviously, you have some parents who are particularly strict around screen time, but I'm sure... Yourself be... included? Uh, so <laughs> far, <laughs> yeah, so far, the Wilfred's only nine months. So um, I think if he was a four-year-old heading in for a procedure, I'd rather he was exposed to a screen for half an hour than, mm. than taking a pill. Um but then I can also see the argument on the other side from a parent's point of view in that the pill is proven and has been proven for decades. Yeah. A sedative is is built to calm the child's going into a very stressful experience. I can understand why you wouldn't want to risk it with a a, a touch uh, a touch experience with a with an iPad. You'd much rather fall back on old proven medicine. Mm. I think one of the key things is is providing choice. I mean, up until this point has either been take the sedative or don't take the sedative uh, and in some cases I suppose perhaps what has brought this around is is that some people do object to the sedative and now there is potentially a choice on the horizon where uh, children could be um, given an iPad that means they don't need to have it and if there is some evidence to back it up and say that uh, this is just as effective as a, se- as a sedative then power to it absolutely I'm going to move on now to an article in Med City News on the Mayo Clinic's Think Big Challenge, which was won this month by um, Jay Vion, a, a startup focused on predictive analytics. The idea which has is, which is won this is their bedside patient rescue, which, which uh, quoting from the article here, alerts providers to subtle changes in the conditions of patients who don't exhibit obvious indications of decline until it's too late to save them. So uh, a, a bedside solution, you're in hospital for one issue, obviously, uh, it's when you have certain problems, they come with associated issues. The sooner you can identify them, the sooner you can treat them, and the higher your chances of survival are. Mm, I mean, if you've been in a hospital scenario before, especially an emergency department or a trauma unit or something like that, or if you've seen it on um, primetime television, you'll get the idea that often when people's bodies fail in that setting it's an emergency people have to rush in they they flatline nurses come rushing down the hall they get them into surgery or or whatever um this i think is really trying to 
make sure that that doesn't happen because that's obviously very resource intensive. You've got a whole team of people rushing to a single bedside in a hospital full of hundreds of people. Um, so what this AI can do is, is take exactly what you said, take the information about that patient, the condition that they've got, the particular um, subtle signs that might indicate that something is going to happen, give you a, a risk um, percentage, I'm assuming. This person is 70% likely to you know, start suffering from this in the next 24 hours, so they can monitor that more closely, they can intervene early and reduce the cost for the hospital and improve the outcomes for the patient. Obviously, this is all about predictive analytics and data. Nostalgic fun fact is that uh, the company includes people who worked on Excite, one of the first um, search engines for the internet. That takes me back to late 90s, sitting in an internet cafe in (laughs) Brisbane on a dial-up connection, uh, waiting about five minutes to find out um, results from the NBA, the New York Knicks, and how they've got on. But yeah, that's obviously a, a, a long-standing pedigree in, in sorting and working with data. Mm. Looks good. Uh, obviously, with that predictive um, database, we're probably talking about uh, anonymized data sets, um, but it, it still pushes the conversation into the space of healthcare data, personal healthcare data and where we're going. All over the news this week are the Fancy Bears hacking stories uh, exposing athletes. Exposing is probably a bit strong because we're still uh, it's an interesting debate. So Mm. these are therapeutic use exemptions, TUEs um, for athletes who are maybe not doing anything wrong but it's shining a light on the fact that there's there's something in there that's that's uh, that's been an exception, um, and so part of this debate, I think, is that is actually a human being's personal medical record. So it's been hacked. So this isn't above board anyway. But the way we're talking about it is kind of like it's fair game. It's not. It's a it's a, mm. it's a personal medical record, and it might not mean anything about performance enhancement. It might just be you know, we're finding out exemptions that people went through, which are for personal reasons rather than. Mm. Um, but also it calls into into question safety and and uh, where how that data is stored it's been breached these are these are top athletes in the world what was the security like around these databases um, and how does that stack up to any current or potential solution for the rest of us you know, spodgy plebs who aren't who aren't fine specimens and our and our data records what's the security issue like there yeah well I mean if if Mo Farah can't protect his medical records how can you and I do it and I guess that's the question that a lot of people are going to be asking having seen this information I mean yeah you're right there is a concern whether or not they did something wrong or or right is 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 only part of the the question here the, the rest of it is 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 my medical record going to be safe if we digitize all of this um, and that is where healthcare is headed, um, because it is the best way. As we've spoken in about the uh, bedside rescue solution um, that's being tested at the moment, the only way that those kinds of technologies are ever going to be successful is they, if they know something about you, if they have a digital record that they can draw on about your medical history um, to provide predictive analysis of of what's going to happen to you in the future. And these technologies are very beneficial for us for reasons that are obvious but 
Um, how secure are they? Uh, this is people had the same questions about banking technology um, in the last decade, uh, and and tap and go, for example. Um, and but what uh, the banks can do that perhaps the medical industry or the healthcare industry can't is they can reimburse you if there's a problem. If someone steals your money, they can guarantee it and give it back to you. They can't really draw back your medical records if that's been breached um there's not really a lot that can be done to save it in spite of of that kind of murky gray area that brings us nicely along to an article on digital by default news uh entitled brits happy to embrace health tech now we'll be wanting to take this with a little pinch of salt but basically research in the uk that we 60 percent of us are expecting technology to improve our future well-being. The reason I'm saying a, a pinch of salt with this is um, Nesta asked uh, people to imagine the world in 2036 um, to formulate these questions ahead of their Future Fest event. Now, if if obviously if those questions were pointed towards attendees at the Future Fest event, you've got people who think in a certain way about the future, mm. kind of predefined in that. The article draws out a, a focus on this being good news for those involved with uh, digital developments at the NHS because 77% of people who were surveyed said that healthcare should be the focus of technological advancement. So you're not really going to get... Eh, it, no, that's not true. Obviously, there's space for increased healthcare provision that doesn't involve the data we've just been talking about. But at the same time, um, data will play a huge part in providing better healthcare in the future so it's an interesting um, yeah, mix it is interesting because as we just talked about there is big concerns around the security of people's data but I think the indications are that people will be happy to hand over that information if it means better health outcomes for them if it means a longer life if it means a better life um, but securing that information is going to be the biggest challenge for healthcare in the next 20 years um, you're right that the audience is probably uh, a future focused audience but it's it's something that we, we really need to start talking about um, because well and it's actually something that's been medical records are something new for us perhaps but we've been handing over our data ever since Google came out um, you know we tell Google where we are every day uh, we tell it what we like what we don't like and mm. Facebook and everything else so we've been doing this for a long time whether we re are really aware of it or not um, and the fact is without giving Google or Facebook that information our experience would be not quite what it is we get good suggestions we get to where we're going because uh, of the data we've handed over I remember a few years ago a search engine partnering with a, a medical institution in the States uh, looking at their search terms around certain um, pres prescribed drugs. So they were able to look at people who were searching for drug-drug um, interactions. So if, they're, if they've been prescribed two things and they're suffering from a, uh, a symptom because of it or they think it's because of it, they'll go to search to answer that question or to find a result on that question. Meanwhile, the drugs are still in testing, so they're going through you know, just massive numbers of potential tests. How does this drug interact with that drug? How does this drug interact with that drug? Uh, months and months, years and years of research 
in a couple of months, this search data was able to indicate a potential issue. So that's obviously fully anonymized. That's that's just taking someone's, I, I'm searching for this, collecting together a, a substantial number of those searches indicates that there's a, a potential problem there. It'd be interesting to, to drill into into the opinions in this survey of people who see that as a as a potential solution versus okay i'm hooked up it's my wearable it's my hospital record it's being plugged in and how how positive people feel about that but it it feels like this is a a subset of the of the uk population who who would embrace that kind of technology anyway well that's it for the tech health podcast this month thanks very much to chris brunner from nuffield health and patrick larue from phillips um We'll be back next month with more tech health discussions. If you like what you've heard, please uh, subscribe or give us a rating or recommend us to your friends. If you've got ideas, <laughs> keep them to yourself. <laughs> yeah, just things you'd like us to talk about. Yeah. Right? yeah, if there's any topics you'd like us to discuss on the Tech Health Podcast, please um, hit us up on our Twitter. It's at Nuffield Health. That's our Twitter. Yes. Yeah. You can find the radiation, animation, and many more explainers uh, around your health at nuffieldhealth.com. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Saul Sherry.